book of Romans chapter 4, and I want to read just a few verses of Scripture here, verses 13 through 16. The word of the Lord says this, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, and that, this, is the, this is the phrase that just arrests me, and I'd like, by the help of God, to talk to you about it. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. It is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And I would like to speak to you for a few moments this morning on, on this subject, that it might be by grace. That it might be by grace. Could we lift up our voices unto God and ask his blessing upon the preaching of his word today. Lord, I thank you so much for your holy word and for your holy presence and your holy spirit. You're in this place to do a work today and I pray that you will do the work that only you can do for you alone are able. And we trust in you and we put our faith in you, O oh God, and we give you praise. We give you all honor and glory in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. We pray for an anointing upon the preaching of the word of God today. We love you and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. and amen. God bless you in the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I begin today, I think we might have just a, a, a little something for you to look at. I wanted to give you an update on what we have uh, of course, you know our goal until October of 2023, our goal is $1.2 million uh, to come in. Uh, we started that in March of 2022, and we're looking at October of 2023. I want to show you how much has come in towards that goal. $994,280.30. Praise God. Amen. Thank God for the faithful generosity of his people. And this, I want to show you how much we have left to go, $205,719.70. I believe we can do it in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I thank you for the sacrificial giving that you do. You bless the lives of so many people because of the sacrifices you make in giving to the Lord and, and the kingdom of God advances because of it. We give you honor and we thank God for it. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. Amen. That it might be by grace. Paul said it is of faith that it might be by grace. Romans chapter 4 and chapter 3 and many of the writings of Paul truly do uh, uh, take our attention back to the, uh, to the, the, the matters of uh, the weightier matters, as Jesus would call it, the weightier matters of the law. And any time that you start using words like Paul used in our passage and the surrounding verses, any time you start using words like law and grace and faith and works and righteousness, uh, you, you really do start getting a little bit nervous because uh, there are so many different abuses of these words that have taken place through the years. And so the Apostle Paul just wades right into the big middle 
of what these words are all about and he dissects them and deals with them. And I want to, I want to try by the grace of God that it might be by grace. I want to try by the grace of God to just help us understand a little bit of what the apostle Paul was trying to help us know about the law of God and about the grace of God. And so we're, we're going to talk about that this morning. First, before you really deal with anything that Paul wrote, you really have to consider uh, his, his background and what, what his life was all about. Paul spoke with a unique authority about the law of God. And he explained this to the church at Philippi. And, and, and you've got to know that there was a moment in Paul's uh, life that absolutely changed everything in his world. Everything was altered after one moment, and he spoke of it often. He was the great persecutor of the people of God. It was Saul who stood by and observed Stephen being stoned to death. And of course, this moment was a turning point in the, in the matter of the church and, and the early church pivoted from this moment. They pivoted to addressing the fact that God had opened the door to the Gentile nations. It began in Jerusalem with the Jews receiving the gospel. And then after Stephen was stoned to death, it shifted to the Samaritans receiving the gospel and then it went to the Gentiles who had no Jewish blood in them at all. And Saul was there, and the Bible says this, he was consenting, consenting unto the death of Stephen. He was overseeing it. He was authorizing it. He was responsible for it. And, and it, it really was a terrible uh, a situation that occurred there. And, and so everybody was terrified of this man, Saul of Tarsus. He had, a, he had a vendetta against all who claimed Jesus to be the Messiah, to be God manifest in the flesh. And so the Bible describes them going into houses and wreaking havoc and, and pulling people out of their homes. And he was persecuting the church. And one particular day, he was headed to, uh, on the road to Damascus, and he had letters in his hand authorizing more persecution, more havoc that he would cause. And while he was on his, the road to Damascus, the Bible says that a great light began to shine above the brightness of the sun. And the light was so bright and it was so, such a brilliant uh, uh, light that it, it actually blinded Saul and he fell off of his, of his uh, animal and he lay out in the middle of the road and is, is completely blown away by what he's experiencing. And he immediately recognizes it when, when the, there's a voice that speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now he's seeing a great light. He's hearing a mighty voice. It has arrested his attention. It has slapped him, if you please, across the face. And he cannot get away from the fact that he is having an encounter with God. So he asks this question, who art thou, Lord? The, the question was an admission that I, I know this has to be the Lord because 
of the power manifest here. There's a power being demonstrated. There's a voice. There's a light. But I thought I knew you, and yet you're, you're accusing me of persecuting you. And so I need, to, I need to ask a question. Who are you anyway, Lord? And, and what shocked him to his core is what the Lord said next. The Lord said, I am Jesus. That, that absolutely shook Saul to the core of his being to know that, yeah, he had, of course he had been persecuting Jesus, but it was never his intention to persecute the Lord. And so he was, he was putting people in prison. He was consenting unto the death of those believers who were worshiping Jesus as Christ and, and as the Lord. And he was willing to do that, but, but not, not, not actually conflict with the Lord. And yet here he is, blinded from the light, laying sprawled out on the road. He has been completely humbled. And, and now he is being told, I am the Lord and you are persecuting me and my name is Jesus. And you're familiar with my name because you have persecuted those who believe on my name. And now you've got to know the background of Saul. Let me just read to you what he told the church at Philippi. He said, we are the circumcision in verse three of Philippians three, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's letting them know, look, we don't have any confidence in this human flesh. That's one of the things that you, if you have confidence in the flesh, you need to get rid of it. If you haven't learned by now, your flesh will get you into nothing but trouble. And it might feel good in the moment, but, but, but that road it's on has a destination. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard and there is a broad way that leads to destruction. And many there are that are on that broad way. You're not going to find any shortage of company on that broad way. There are a lot of people that are going to affirm you on that broad way. A lot of your favorite people are going to be on that broad way, but it leads to destruction. And he said, I have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He said, if you think that you can have confidence in your flesh, then I need to tell you a little bit about me because I could really have confidence in my flesh. He said this, circumcised the eighth day in keeping with the law of Moses. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I am an Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. That's what I was. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. And touching the righteousness which is in the law. You ready for this word? Blameless. I kept all of it. I dotted all of the I's. I crossed all of the T's. And yet, where did it lead me? I was laying on the road to Damascus with blinded eyes and humiliation. And the Lord was speaking my name, saying to me that I had been persecuting him. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, Lord, then I guess I don't know you like I thought I did. Who are you, Lord? And man, when the Lord said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest, 
It is hard for you to kick against me because you're going to find I'm bigger than you are. You're going to find that you may be tough, but I'm tougher than you are. You might feel like you're blameless, but I really am blameless. It is hard for you to kick against me. And so the apostle Paul was telling the church at Philippi about his background and said, look, I had it all together. I had a pedigree that was unarguably greater than most people that I could ever talk to. And he said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hallelujah. At some point, you're going to have to come to the place where you count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. At some, if you're not there yet, I would, I would encourage you to get there today. That's why we're preaching to you this morning. That's, that's why we're singing about the blood and about the strength of God and about by his stripes we are healed. We, are, we have a unified message to you today that it is Jesus who saves to the uttermost. We have a unified message that flesh cannot save you and the arm of flesh cannot redeem you. But the power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ can lift you from your lowest fall and it can pick you up out of your lowest pit of despair. There is power in the blood of Jesus and it does reach to the highest mountain and it does flow to the lowest valley. Hallelujah. And he does give me strength from day to day, today, today, tomorrow and today. He will give me strength. Hallelujah. But I want to zero in on what Paul was saying when he said as touching the righteousness of which is in the law, I was blameless. I want to I zero in on that because, because that, is, that is so very important to understand. Then why, why Paul would come to the church at Rome and to the church at Galatia and to the church at Corinth and to the church at Colossae and on and on to all of the churches to whom he wrote. He would let them know that the law does not have the power to justify you. How can he say such a thing when we're talking about the law of God? So the question is, what is the law? What, 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 what is the law? I would like to make a distinction. It's, it's a, you got to make a careful distinction. So I want to be clear. I want to make a de delineation between the law of God and the law of Moses. There's a difference. The law of God and the law of Moses. I want you to hear what is the law of God. The law of God is thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. The law of God is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. These are the laws of God. And he expounds on them in Exodus chapter 20. 
These are the laws of God. Why are these the laws of God? Why is this the law of God? Are these just random rules that God, because he can, imposed? Is it because he's so great and so powerful and he is above all and is omnipotent that he looked at us little earthlings that he created and said, you got to do this stuff or you'll go to hell. Is that, is, that what, is that what God was doing? No, that's not at all what God is doing. The law of God is a reflection of the nature of God. And God is the only entity that is self-existing. Everything else has been created by God. God was not created. God is. He is the I am. He is the I am. When he told Moses, my name is I am that I am, he was letting him know I exist. That's what that means. It means I exist. It's the same word that he used when he said, let there be light, Brother Emmert. Hallelujah. Let there be. It's the same word. I am. I exist. That's what he was telling Moses. He is the all in all. He is the altogether lovely. He is the I am. Everything else he created. And these commandments found in the law of God reflect his nature. We do not commit adultery and are not to, are to not commit adultery because he is faithful. We do not kill because he, or hate because he is love. We do not steal or deprive our neighbor because he is generous. This is why he puts the law in, into place. And these are the things that, that we must understand. This is the law that we must keep. And, and, and he said, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. He says that because that's at the very outset. If you violate that, then everything else gets off course. If you worship anybody but him, then you're not going to be able to do any of these other things that absolutely reflect his nature. These are a reflection of the nature of God. Now, if you want to, if you want to summarize them and boil them all down into two commands, then, then you can. Jesus explained that. He said, the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you will keep these two, then you will succeed in keeping all of the law and the prophets. It boils down to the simplicity of loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, this is the law of God and it's a perfect law and it is impossible for your flesh to keep it. Oh, that doesn't sound too hard. Yeah, yeah. And this is why the apostle Paul who dotted every eye of the law of Moses, not even just the law of God, the law of Moses. He's talking about the law of Moses. I was a Pharisee, which means he was a lawyer concerning the law of Moses. He knew the fine print. Now, what is the law of Moses? Because we're going to make a distinction between the law of God and the law of Moses. What is the law of Moses? It's, it's a little different. Here's what the difference is. Moses stood before God and had a burning bush experience. He heard God say, I am. 
God put inside of Moses an unshakable devotion to his name and to his character and said, I want that for all of my people. Go and tell Israel, they are my firstborn son. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses goes and brings all of Egypt, all of Israel out of Egypt, brings them to the mountain that did burn with darkness and blackness and tempest and vapors of smoke and thunder and lightning. And Moses said, that's where we're going because that's where the voice of God is. And they looked at Moses and said, you sir, are out of your mind. We're not going to no place that looks like that, that sounds like that. We're not going with you into that mountain. And they came up with a plan. You go up, you talk to God, and you tell us what God has said. And so Moses goes up to God and said, God, I can't get them up here to be in your presence. They're afraid of you. Their flesh cannot comprehend you and they're afraid of you what do I do and the Lord said well since they won't come into my presence I'm going to have to give you my word and then you are going to have to go give it to them and that's where the law of Moses came from the law of Moses was never God's perfect law the law of Moses was the law of God via a man and so the law gets passed on to the children of Israel from Moses. And what happens is that it's not as simple as thou shalt not commit adultery. Now it's Moses is standing like, hey, you can't commit adultery. And since you can't keep yourself from it, I'm going to have to lay it out. You, you can't adulterate wool with linen. You can't adulterate soy with corn. You can't adulterate. You can't mix anything at all. And, and that seems arbitrary to us in 2023. We look at the randomness of the law of Moses and we're like, what in the world? What were these strange little arbitrary statutes and all of these complicated little ordinances? Why were they even necessary? Because the people had never been in the presence of God for themselves and when you don't have a personal relationship with God you have to have a law and a relationship like that but that's not the perfect law the perfect law is when you stand alone in the presence of your creator and he takes his holy law and emblazons it upon your heart not on tablets of stone that are outside of you that you have to go reference and check every time you come upon a judgment call and every time you need to make a decision am I going to violate the law of God let me go check and let me go make sure because it says here and then Moses said this and I gotta no that's not what God intended God wants his law to be something that is inside of you that it's a part of your instinctive nature that it's a part of the way you feel and the way you desire things God doesn't want to have to stand over your shoulder and say I said don't commit adultery no he wants it to be inside of your heart that I as Joseph said before there was a law of Moses Joseph said to Potiphar's wife how could I commit this great wickedness before the Lord my God there was no law on a tablet of stone when Joseph said that it was something that was in his heart in his nature 
God wants it to be a part of your nature, not something that he's having to remind you of every other day. But here's what Jeremiah 31, 31 says. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He's talking about that covenant that was in, in, engraved in stone. He's talking about that covenant that was so easy to break that when Moses came down off the mountain, he took one look at the debauchery and the idolatry of the Israeli people and it made him so mad that he threw the Ten Commandments, tablets of the commandments to the ground and broke all the Ten Commandments at the same time. Every one of them. Broke them all. And God said, get back up into this mountain. We got to do this again. And God begins to inscribe them. And Moses and God begin to inscribe the Ten Commandments back into a new tablet of stone. And the Lord said, you've got to put this in the Ark of the Covenant. That's the only way it can be kept. Jeremiah 31 said this. He said, behold, the days come. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them up out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. And I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so Paul comes along and he said, look, he said, you can try your very best to keep the law. You can try your very best to do everything you're supposed to do, but it won't accomplish anything because it isn't going to happen by the works of your righteousness. It's going to happen by the works of faith. And so then he, he asked the question that everybody was asking. He said this, he said, what then? Do we make the law of none effect? Do we make void the law? He said, God forbid, we're not making void the law. He said, we are establishing the law. Oh, hallelujah. I feel it even right now. Somebody wants tablets of stone that they can look at so they won't have to have it in their heart everywhere they go. Somebody wants it on tablets of stone so when you come to church, you can act like you keep the law of God. Where God said, I want to put my law in their inward parts so that the law goes with you when you leave this house. And it's not who you are on Sunday alone, but it's who you are at the workplace. And it's who you are when you're at lunch. And it's who you are at the family reunion. And it's who you are. My God. God said, I want to put my law in their inward parts. Let me tell you something. Moses is not your mediator anymore. And your pastor is not your mediator anymore. Just like there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. You cannot have somebody else go up to the mountain and have a talk with God for you and come down and tell you what God said. It's going to have to be you, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have to have a personal encounter and relationship with God. Hallelujah. 
Paul said it's not going to be of works. It's not going to be because of your flesh. If it was your flesh that could be righteous or your flesh that could be holy, then we would say worthy is you. Hallelujah. There's an old song that says glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Well, we'd have to change that song to glory to your name. Glory to whatever your name is because you are responsible for your salvation and that doesn't work. It's not going to be of your works. It will be of faith that it might be by grace. What do we mean that it might be by grace? Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is the graciousness of God. That word grace means to stoop down. And it particularly means a superior who stoops down. Hallelujah. In the Jewish custom, the whole idea is to elevate oneself. It is to elevate yourself from, I've talked about it the last couple of Wednesday nights, from Jacob to Israel, from Israel to Jeshurun. It's about elevating oneself. In fact, even the practice of eating food is sacred in the Jewish custom. The idea of taking a spoon and putting it into, into food and lifting it from the plate is something that separates human beings from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom doesn't do that. The animal kingdom stoops themselves and puts their face to the ground or to the plate. They take this headship or this enlightened part of, of their being and they lower it to the earth. Human beings are different. This enlightened part of us, our head, we don't lower it to the ground to eat. We lift what's from the ground or the material up to this place of spiritual enlightenment and we elevate, we don't descend. But God did just the opposite. He who was above all descended that we might ascend. Hallelujah. He became poor so we could become rich. He lowered himself so that he could lift us up. It is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. I want you to know that the righteousness of the law is not by my ability. It is by his grace. It is because there is a God in heaven who loves me enough, who loves you enough that he stepped down into this broken, fallen, dysfunctional, whacked out, messed up, broken down world that we've created for ourselves and said, I'll put myself in their position and lift all of them whosoever will my God, my God, my God hallelujah I want you to understand I don't want us to ever grow grow accustomed to talking about the grace of God to where it doesn't move us anymore you know why it doesn't move us because somewhere in the back of our mind is this haunting thought that we somehow have managed to be so good that we can be saved and you've got to know that our salvation is not because we are 
good. It is because he is good. You've got to understand that your salvation is not because you were obedient and disciplined. It is because he was obedient and disciplined. Any obedience that you demonstrate is merely by the mercy of God that you are in him and his grace is sufficient for you. Ah, that's why, that's why when that woman busted into the dinner, the dinner room that, where they were hosting this beautiful dinner at Simon the leper's house, Simon the leper's house, okay? Simon the leper had company, Simon the leper's house. And they're having a wonderful dinner and everything is designed to the T. There's a protocol, there's a form, there's a function. And this woman out of nowhere just busts through the door and she's staggering and stumbling and tears are streaming down her face and she's carrying expensive boxes of ointment that were that were reserved for his burial she was going to use them to preserve his body as well as possible and provide spices for his burial but when she saw that Lazarus came forth and she heard Jesus say I am the resurrection and I am the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live it dawned on her he's not even going to need these spices for his burial because he's going to come up out of that grave and she walked into that room with this fresh revelation and she broke down in front of him weeping and pouring ointment upon him the first thing that everybody thought when she walked in the first thing Judas thought of was money that's what happens when somebody has that same feeling come over them Jesus said, to the, you know who wasn't bothered by it? Jesus wasn't bothered by it. Jesus said, I'm so unbothered by this. I want wherever you preach the gospel, I want you to talk about this woman. Because this is how I want people to respond to my gospel. And then he explained why the emotion and why the drama and why the, why the hyperbolic response to him. He explained, he said, because she has been forgiven much. Now, now I'm just going to go ahead and tell you why you don't enjoy worshiping him and giving him praise. Because you don't think he's had to forgive you of very much. You still have confidence in the flesh. You still think you can be saved on your own. You still think you've got this figured out that you can somehow be so good. Let me tell you, your best goodness isn't good enough for heaven. Your best holiness isn't holy enough for his presence. Your best righteousness. When he said that your righteousness is as filthy rags, he meant your righteousness is as filthy rags. He's talking about the good stuff you do. He's talking about the resume, the pedigree, the bio they read before you preach. The good stuff you've got going on. That is as filthy rags compared to the holiness of God and that's what this law reflects it reflects the holiness of God it reflects the perfection of God you look at this law and and listen it's perfection and if you offend in any one point of it you are guilty of all of it well I've kept the law from the very time I was yeah yeah you you might think you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's but Jesus will look at you like the rich young ruler and say, let me test your spirit. Is it in your inward parts? Because if you don't feel it, it's not, you're not keeping it. 
That's what he means when he says, I'm going to put it on your heart. I'm going to make you feel like it. Yes, 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 yes. That's when you know you're keeping the law is when you want to not steal. When you want to not hate. In fact, we call it love. When you want to love. Listen to what Paul said. He said, the law worketh wrath. What does he mean by that? He means that because, and then he said this, he said the law was perfect, but it was weak through human flesh. So what he's saying is, is that the law that's perfect, the law is perfect, okay? The law is perfect. These 10 commandments, they're perfect. It's perfect. When then, when, then what's the problem? It's weak through flesh. It's weak when we try to measure up to it. And so that's when it gets weak is when we look at it and we try to be all that it says to be. And we throw up our hands like, I can't do that. Because I might not raise my hand to kill somebody, but I might hate them in my heart. Maybe you say I would never commit adultery, but you've been unfaithful in your mind and in your heart. And you say I would never steal, but when nobody's looking, you cheat people out of this and you cheat them out of that. Because it's not in your heart. It's on a table of stone somewhere. And, and, and you're getting by. And that's when he says the law worketh wrath. He means that, the, that we have this natural inclination when a law is given to reach the bare minimum. Let me tell you what a speed, it's, it, let me just tell you the speed limit on certain parts of the highway are 65. Out here on I-71 it's 65. The speed limit, not the speed recommendation. Somebody told me, they said, now listen, y'all, Lord knows, Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. I'm not going to, I believe me, I'm not going to condemn anybody right now. For, they, used to, they used to pull me over for running green lights. I mean, I'm telling you, I have had my issues with, with this particular challenge. And so I'm not condemning anybody. But, but, but notice what we do. I had, I had an insurance man tell me one time. He said, Here's, here it is. said, uh, 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 under nine, you're fine. Above nine, you're mine. Meaning nine miles over the speed limit. Under nine, you're fine. Above nine, you're mine. Because that's the way we think. What can I do to fit within the context of the law? Where's the loophole I can find? That's what laws do. They create loopholes. They work wrath. You get frustrated because you're trying to keep the law. And God said, I'm tired of all that. I want a new covenant. I want a new law. And I want to put it on the inward part of you. I want to put it on the inside of you so that, so that you don't have to go check some kind of a list of rules and regulations to make sure that you're standing in line. I want you to be so caught up in my presence that you would never dream of defrauding your neighbor. I want you to be so caught up in my presence that you would never dream of bearing false witness. I want you to look at the blessings of others and instead of coveting them, I want you to rejoice over them and give me thanks that I blessed your brother and your sister the way that I do and that cannot be accomplished by flesh it can only be accomplished of faith that it might be by grace so so what do we mean by faith it has to be a faith here's how we keep the law of God by faith by faith well, what's faith we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we also know there is only one faith. Amen. So sometimes people will say, well, they're this faith and they're that faith and this is, these are many faiths. Let me tell you something. In God's eyes, there's one faith. And it is the faith 
that is earnestly contended for, the faith that was once delivered to the saints, it is faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what our faith is. Our faith is that the almighty God of heaven came down into this world as the only begotten son of God. And he took upon himself the responsibility that was on our shoulders. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He kept the perfect law that we couldn't keep. He lived above reproach in a way that we could never live above reproach he dotted the i's and crossed the t's inside and outside something no man anywhere has ever been able to do he was tempted in all points as we are tempted yet was without sin in fact was made to become sin for us this is what we believe that when he went to that cross he went to that cross as the spotless lamb of god that's why in the book of revelation john the revelator says worthy is the lamb hallelujah worthy is the lamb oh he's the king but he didn't say worthy is the king he's the lion of the tribe of judah but he didn't say worthy is the lion of the tribe of judah he's the alpha and the omega but he didn't say worthy is the alpha and the omega he's zion's righteous governor but he didn't say worthy is zion's righteous governor he said worthy is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world he's worthy to open the books and loose the seal what makes him worthy what makes him worthy is that we call him the lamb because he is innocent in his keeping of the law and he was able to achieve the law that you couldn't achieve and now our hope is in him our hope is not in us that's why when we preach the plan of salvation as recorded in Acts 2.38, the Jews had a question when Peter preached the gospel of Jesus to them. They, hear, they said, we hear the gospel and now we have, to, we have a question. What shall we do? There's something we, we is, what do we do? How do we remedy? How do we remedy our fault and our blame and our, 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 our damnation and condemnation? And, and Peter, now, now if, if, if this were a lawless situation, because when we talk about the law, we're, we're under the perfect law of liberty. We're under the royal law of love. We're under the law of faith. It's still the law of God. It's the law of Moses that was fulfilled. But the law of God is still in full effect. It's the only thing that matters. And so they said, how do we become reconciled to the law that we were unable to keep? If this would have been a lawless situation where the grace of God is turned into lasciviousness, a false grace. If that were the case, Peter would have said, you don't got to do nothing. But that's not what Peter said. When they asked, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, turn, turn from your sin, turn from your wickedness and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the blotting out of those sins, for the remission of those sins. You know why you got to be baptized in his name? Because it's his name that kept the law, not yours. It's his name that satisfied the legal ramifications not yours not mine not anybody else's it's in the name of Jesus oh I wish I could remind somebody it's the name of the Lord that is a strong tower baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins 
See, these are legal terms. Remission is a legal term because it's dealing with the law of God. The remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and here's, here's, the, here's the greatest part. For the promise. Woo. That's what this thing is all about. The promise. Hallelujah. Let me tell you about the promise. Can I tell you about the promise? Let's go back to these Ten Commandments and look. I want you to hear the undertone of promise. See, you've looked at it through the, the, from the perspective of bondage and from the perspective of, oh, I got to do that and I got to live up to that and I got to make sure I don't violate that and I got to reach the bare minimum. And because you look at it like that, all you hear is, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. But now I want you to look at it. I want the paradigm to shift. And I want you to look at the very same words through the eyes of promise. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You're not going to bear false witness. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not, you're not going to have any other gods before you. You trust me. When you get done, when you get done with my presence and my love and my joy, you won't, you won't make any graven images unto yourself. You won't take my name in vain anymore. Hallelujah. I, 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 you're, yeah, here's a promise. You're going to honor your father and mother. Amen. Are you ready for this promise? Because you, you didn't know you could even do this. But it, listen to the undertone of promise. You shall love me with all of your heart. With all of your soul, you're going to love me. With all of your mind and with all of your strength, you're going to love me. Oh, oh, and you didn't even know you could do this, but, but, when, but here's the promise. You ready for the promise? You shall love your neighbor as much as you love yourself and you only love yourself. Here, here it is, and here's where faith comes in, okay? This is why it has to be a faith that it might be by grace. It has to be a faith, and here's where faith comes. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why we preach Jesus. This is why we preach his blood. This is why we preach the fact that he came to this earth and living he loved me and dying he saved me and burying he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified, freed me forever. One day he's coming back, oh glorious day. Why, why are we doing that? We're trying to lift your faith in Jesus. Should the Lord tarry, 100 years from now, everybody in this room will be gone. But I hope that name of Jesus, they may not remember any of our names, but just as long as they don't forget his name. Because that's the name that saves to the uttermost. That's the name that reaches into the lowest valley of despair. It's his name, that beautiful name, that glorious, wonderful, holy name of God that satisfies the legal requirement and gives us a precious promise. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Here's a promise. You're not going to kill and you're not going to hate and you're not going to have malice and you're not going to covet and you're not going to envy and you're not going to give into the lust of the flesh and you're not going to give into the lust of the eyes and you're not going to give into the pride of life and you're not going to be controlled by the love of money. These are the promises of God and the promises of God in him are yea and amen. It has to be a faith in Jesus, 
that it might be by the grace of God. This salvation that we want, it has to be because God came to us and not because we somehow elevated to him. Hallelujah. That it might be by his grace. Hallelujah. But I don't know if that's sufficient. Oh, his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. No, no, don't, don't, try, to, don't try to escape the law and, and, and figure out what I can do now and what I get to do because I'm no longer under the law. You're no longer under the law of Moses. But, 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 but gladly step into the beautiful law of the Lord that is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Step into the law of the Lord. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You want to have peace in your life? Fall in love with the law of God. Hallelujah. Somebody lift up your hands. Could you do that right now? Just lift up your hands and your voice unto God. See the promise of his law. Cherish the promise of his law. Hallelujah. Not because it's a list of regulations, but because it's a list of blessings that he has given to his people as to how to live the abundant life in Jesus Christ. All over this house, could you just stand to your feet right now, lift up a voice of praise unto God. I want somebody who is grateful for a God who loves them, for a God who loves them. Hallelujah. I am grateful. I am grateful for parents who had a law that I shouldn't cross the street. I was little, I was little, but I wasn't allowed to cross the street. I'm grateful they had that law. And then as I came into a better understanding, they modified the law and said, now I want you to look both ways before you cross the street. And as I gained more and more understanding, next thing you know, I'm driving on those streets. But it took a while for it to move from a regulation in a tablet of stone to where now it's in my heart. And I, I, nobody has to tell me to look both ways. I, I know where the dangers are now. And, and so that's the goal of God is for God to so lift you out of the bad decisions that you just keep making over and over and over again. He wants to put his law in your heart. And one of the greatest prayers you'll ever pray, the Lord showed me a prayer to pray. Let me, let me just tell you something. When you pray to God, ask him like the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Did you know God will actually come alongside of you and say, you're praying the wrong way. Let me show you what to pray. And he'll lead you into what to pray. And something happens when you call on him in his will. He said, ask anything according to my will and it shall be done. So, so pray and say, God, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I remember I was praying that God would fix this and fix that and do this and do that and take care of them and take care of that. And, and the Lord just gently came up beside me and said, I really want to help you. But you're praying the wrong prayer. And this is what he told me to do. He said, ask me to help you feel how you should feel. 
That's what the heart is. The heart is the center of feeling. And, 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 and we, and we kind of demean feelings. You know, we, 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 we do. We, I do. I do all the time. I'm like, hey, it doesn't matter how you feel. Give him the praise. Doesn't matter how you feel. Worship him with all your heart. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter how you feel. And there's truth in that. But better than that is feel like praising him. Better than obeying him when you don't feel like it. Feel like obeying him. And I can't force that on you and you can't force that on you. That's a God thing that has to happen. And that comes through relationship with him. I'm going to tell you, you'll feel like, you'll feel like praising him when you stand before a burning bush. And he says, I am that I am hath sent you. You'll feel like praising him when you're in a lion's den and he sends his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. You'll feel like praising him when you're on the road to Damascus and and you've got letters in your hand authorizing further persecution of the Christians. And, and, And you know that you are worthy of death by God in that moment. And instead of him executing you on the spot, he just simply says, No, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. You know what you'll say? You'll say exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Death can't do it. Life can't do it. Angels can't do it. Heights can't do it. Depths can't do it. Famine can't do it. Nakedness can't do it. The peril or sword, it cannot separate me from the love of God. I'm going to tell you when he was persuaded of that. He was persuaded on that day when God had every reason to hate him and loved him instead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wonder if there's somebody who loves much because you've been forgiven much. Simon, Jesus said, Simon, from the time I came into your house, you have not poured ointment upon my feet. You have not, you have not worshipped me like this woman has worshipped me. And, and what he's saying in that is, Simon, listen, the leper, are you kidding me? You're not wanting anybody to worship me, the leper? How do you even have people in your house, Simon, the leper? You ought to be off in a colony somewhere, isolated and ostracized like a lot of other people with that condition. But here you are standing amongst family and friends, ungrateful for the blessings of God. My God, I I need to ask you something, ladies and gentlemen. How in the world is it that, that the more material gain God gives us, the less grateful we become? I don't get that. I don't understand that. If you live in a better house than you used to, you ought to be the first one up here dancing with all your might. If you have more money coming in than you used to have, why in the world aren't you clapping your hands and worshiping the Lord? I'll tell you why. Because you don't recognize it as his blessing. You recognize it as your hard work. That's why. That's exactly why. If we actually took inventory of the blessings of God that came into our life, you would never be able to stop us from obeying Him and praising Him and worshiping Him and serving Him and living for Him. Great peace. 
Oh, I feel his presence. I'm opening these altars right now. The Holy Ghost is so, so strong in this place. I want somebody to come. I want somebody to bring the alabaster box. I, I want you to count all things as loss for the excellency of Christ. I want you just to pour your heart out to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let it get in the inward parts. Let it get in your heart. Let his law get into your heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to serve you because I want to serve you. Not because of peer pressure, not because of religious pressure, not because of fear of criticism, but because I love you. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord.
child, I remember walking into certain homes and feeling the peace of God that was in those homes. you, You couldn't even put your finger on it. But there was peace. There was just, there was, there was just a, a sense of things, things are well and good. There's a blessing. It's the blessing of the Lord that is in this home. And what that was, it was, it was the law of the Lord was ruling and reigning in that house. And there was great peace to them that love his law. And it was a law that, was, that had come by faith that it might be by grace. It did not come by a... By a law master forcing somebody begrudgingly against their will to do it. And God wants that so much for us. He wants that so much for you. I feel right now for someone to reach up unto the Lord with their heart of prayer. And say, God, I want that in my life. I want your peace to rule and reign in my marriage, in my family, in my children. I want, I want your peace. I want to I love you. I want to keep your commandments because I love you. Put your love in me, God, to love you. God will put his love in you, and that love will be the love you use to love him. Let him put his love in your heart today. Let him put his love in your heart today. Lord, I want peace in my mind. I want peace in my heart. Hallelujah, I want the great peace of God that comes from loving the law of the Lord. Could you do that right now? Say, God, I, 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 I want that promise. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That's what Paul wrote to every church that he could. Grace and peace be multiplied. Grace and peace be multiplied. The gracious God of heaven stoop down and give you the peace that only he can give. Grace and peace be multiplied into your life right now. Come on, if you want that, reach for it right now. Say, God, I don't even know what prayer to pray, but I need you. I need you. I need you, Jesus. Help me, God. Help me, God. I need you today. I need you today. I need you today. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Reach for him today in the name of the Lord. Reach for him today in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord.
his name, blessed be his name, blessed be his name, hallelujah, hallelujah.